Welcome to this episode of CEO Perspectives, a signature series by the Conference Board. CEO Perspectives are conversations that take an objective, nonpartisan look at a range of subjects that matter most to business leaders. I'm Steve Odlin from the Conference Board and the host of this podcast series. And in today's conversation, we're going to discuss generations, this one from a baby boomer perspective. What makes baby boomers unique? In what ways are they like other generations and how are they different? And what are their views of other generations? You are listening to CEO Perspectives, a podcast by the Conference Board. Joining me today is Chuck Mitchell, Senior Director of Content Quality here at the Conference Board and a member, a proud card-carrying member of the baby boomer generation. Chuck, welcome. Well, thanks, Steve. Welcome. Glad to be here. And uh, indeed, uh, card-carrying. <laughs> card-carrying. And But, you know, Chuck, I think the baby boomers is like the longest generation. It's I think it's 18 years. And you're kind of sitting uh, roughly midway through that generation. So it's a, it, you'll give us a unique perspective on on uh, the whole generation. Tell us a little bit though, before we start about, you know, your career and your life. And cause I think that's, you know, you, you've had a really colorful and interesting set of experiences. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm a Philly boy. I grew up in Northeast Philadelphia, um, kind of lower to middle class and, you know, very isolated community. A trip to New Jersey was like a foreign trip for us. Right. But, well, it still is for most, especially if you're in New York, I think, right? <laughs> Indeed. But uh, so, uh, you know, pretty normal growing up, I guess, if you will, in that in that kind of that kind of era. But after college is is where everything's kind of got interesting. I went to South Africa to play baseball, of all things. And they're kind of backed in. Now, this is the 1970s, late 70s. So I backed into journalism while I was in South Africa. And that kind of changed my life. I was started with the Rand Daily Mail, which is the morning national daily in South Africa. And then I was later hired by United Press International, a, a global news agency. Um, so I had time in Johannesburg. Uh, I did a year in, uh, interestingly, in Rhodesia, Zimbabwe, Rhodesia, then Zimbabwe through that last year of the war and the transition. Um, then off to Nairobi. I was in Nairobi uh, for four years, uh, a lot of time uh, during the famine years, 82 to 86 in Ethiopia and Sudan. Uh, I also spent uh, quite a lot of time in Beirut after the second Israeli invasion in the 80s. And from there, uh, I went to Moscow. I was three years in uh, in Moscow, the old Soviet Union, from '86 to '89, and Chernobyl was kind of my marker there. But uh, and later on, I, I I left UPI and joined the Detroit Free Press as the foreign editor there. Um, you know, I think what makes it kind of unique that experience unique is that I did get to live for extended periods in two of the the oddest, uh, if you will, government type systems: apartheid in South Africa and then communism in the Soviet Union. And I, it it kind of really shaped my perspective into how, what I appreciate uh, in Western countries in the United States about individual choice and freedoms. It's kind of interesting that. Yeah, and and so your view of the baby boomer generation is not strictly of U.S. baby boomers, but but it really is of baby boomers around the world, and you know so that makes your experience really unique in that sense. 
You know, I, there are certainly commonalities uh, among uh, boomer generations uh, globally, but there are a lot of differences there. They're now culturally driven, um, you know, in Europe, in Russia, uh, certainly in, in most of Africa. So, uh, yeah, again, the commonalities, but a lot of differences, too. Yeah. So, you know, the, the generation is entitled the baby boomer generation. And it's really because there was a you know higher fertility rate following World War Two. You know, people coming back, getting back to normal. And there were, you know, there were a lot of bursts during that era. Talk about what you think are the characteristics of your generation. Yeah, I, again, you know, generalizations are hard, but, uh, the, you know, I think pretty strong work ethic by and large. Uh, you know, I, I I think my contemporaries, my peers are, are, are have always been kind of global or goal oriented. Um, again, uh, competitive in that sense um that there is a striving uh not only for your own personal good but you are i think this generation likes to compare itself to other people within that generation you know it's that it, it's like keeping up with the joneses kind of notion too i think i see that a lot in 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 my peers um i think we're more independent than uh, previous generations uh but in some ways too we're uh, more independent than later generations. I think the independence is the thing that that kind of marks my generation. We're we're curious and uh, and and resourceful and willing to get out on our own and do things, try things, make things. You know the 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 generation, but baby boom generation spans the birth years nineteen forty six to sixty four. Those earlier baby boomers really had an easier time, I think, in the workforce because there was a dearth of population just prior to that but beginning you know mid-generation where where you are and later there was a there were a lot of people I mean there was never a shortage for labor and, and you know so when you when you talk about the competitiveness it's it's be, you had to be because there was just so many you know how many people were behind you always to take your job Right. It's that, it, you know, that, that don't look over your shoulder because someone's gaining on you. I, I think that that is that that that's one of the mantras of our generation. Yeah. And and so there was a bit of a hunger there, too, because you really had to distinguish yourself and and that, you know, through hard work and, and you know, put points on the board as as you know, as you would say, and, uh, you know, in order to really move yourself ahead economically. Yeah, definitely so. And I think that's where the that self-reliance and independence part uh, really comes in. Um, I, you know, again, throughout our upbringing, I think as a generation, uh, when you look at the sports, we're all competitive. Uh, it, it was this notion around you have to be better than the person next to you, person behind you, person in front of you. And uh, that that I think is one of the characteristics of the generation is it becomes a little we became a little selfish. You know the, the the whole media world. You you were in um, you know you were in journalism. The whole media world changed um, during your lifetime and your career. You know, talk about that because when you were born, you know, the TV was just starting to come up, and you know the penetration was very low, and it was all black and white in the fifties and all of that. So talk about that and and media writ large. Yeah, I mean, I, I certainly, you know, as I grew up and even in uh, up until the, the, my final years, I think, at the free press, um, people trusted 
the media. I mean, you go back to the Walter Cronkites of this world where, you know, when they spoke, it was gospel. Uh, that seeing the transition in newspapers and the advent of, of, of the internet uh, alternative sources uh, really started to undermine credibility, I think, in every the citizen journalism thing really undermined credibility in in uh, in, in established in established media, and the media itself was to blame. I mean, I remember at the Detroit Free Press, when we would sit around for our morning planning meetings, um, everyone was a Democrat. I was the only registered Republican, uh, and it was dissenting voice. And and I, you know, I think that there. There was a lot of groupthink that came into uh, into national media, and that could be part of the reason it undermined its own credibility to some extent. Um, you know that uh, that in those days, um, you know the Detroit Free Press was um, uh, four hundred thousand daily circulation, was the tenth largest in the country, and today it's it's probably under a hundred thousand. Well, yeah, I mean, but that's that that was typical of of the baby boomer generation too. I mean they. I mean, you you mentioned Walter Cronkite. There were three networks, and the news program was fifteen minutes once per day, you know, during the evening hour. No other news at all, and it was just really brief. This is what happened, and that's the way it was. Uh, literally, that's what Walter would say. And then there was the newspaper, and and you know, that, those were in the days when it was paper, right? And it, and it was news. And it was delivered to your doorstep once a day, or in some cities twice a day. But that's how that's how people consumed news in that era. No, I have to confess, I uh, I still get a hard copy of the Wall Street Journal, and when I go into the city, I am the only person on that Metro North train that has it is folding pages. Everyone else is is reading electronically, but. Uh, yeah, I, you know, I, I, there are certain, there are many pockets in the world. I'm thinking of the UK, India, for example, where it's like it was here in the 60s, 50s and 60s when it comes to the credibility of, of the newspaper. You can't, you know, you can't get away in those countries without without starting your morning but reading those newspapers. But you've, you've had to, like every baby boomer, go from black and white television news for 15 minutes a day and and now you're you know you're you're right there with everybody else on social media and using your thumbs to to communicate uh it's it talk about that whole transition yeah i mean you know it's uh, it certainly is is a major transition and i think what i i've been very conscious of not allowing it to try and control uh, my life um you know, it, there's very much an echo chamber. You're defined by what networks you tune into, what radio commentators or podcasts you listen to. Uh, and I, I think one of the one of the big differences is that in my generation or growing up is th that there was some exposure to whether you did it personally to people who thought differently than you. You couldn't avoid it. Now you can avoid it. I mean, it is the classic echo chamber. Uh, and, I, I, you know, there's an individual responsibility to to be curious about other points of view. And I'm not sure that it, it takes a lot of self-discipline to do that. Yeah. And, you know, the, I, the whole family formation has changed, too, because the households were larger when when you were a kid and uh, and and even when you started having kids, it was larger. It's become smaller now. It was it was more suburban, right? And right. it was it, what I don't know if you agree with this, but it, it seems like it was 
it, it was more uh, more middle class. I mean, it, people were kind of all in the same income groups. You didn't have the the huge disparities. You know, every, if you look at the houses that were built in the fifties, they're all kind of the same size. And you know, um, so it it. But that's that's all kind of changed, hasn't it? Yeah, I mean, it, it it certainly has, you know, I mean, this, you know, the notion around a wealth gap, but I think, you know, for my parents, in particular, they were both ex-military, they had both served in the Pacific during World War II, my mother was a uh, a lieutenant in the Navy nurse corps on hospital ships out in the Pacific, my dad was on destroyers out there, uh, and when they, when they finished up, when they came home, there was a full kind of sense of of community there was an optimism um you know this notion around an american dream and uh picket fence and houses that was pretty real to them and uh and and that was the goal that's what they strive for and that that was very much and there's a greater sense of community i remember growing up in my neighborhood in philly um you know everybody looked after each other my great aunt the the neighbors when she got into her 90s uh, were you know doing her shopping for of checking in on her every day, not family members, just neighbors, and um, I, I don't see that almost anywhere in the U.S. these days. Did your people in your neighborhood lock the doors in their house? No, no. Uh, in the later years, when I was young, no. In later years, yes. Yeah. There was a, you know, a, a, there was a kind of transition. There was a fear that started to creep in. Uh, but by and large, I remember it uh, being pretty, pretty open. You walked into your neighbor's house. And, and how many siblings did you have? I just have one sister. She's older. She was very at the very beginning of that generation. Yeah. Yeah. And so did your parents just sort of let you go out and play and run around the neighborhood? And or did they did they know where you were ever? No. And that's, <laughs> they opened the door, you went out, well, you better be home by five o'clock when it was supper time. We used to eat early. And that's when my dad got home. So, yeah. you know, it was, uh, you know, you got on your bike and you went, we had a, you know, neighborhood full of kids and uh, yeah, we just went and did things and, you know, pick up baseball games and, you know, uh, going in, you know, going into the park and, and and never any thought, never any fear. I never felt endangered. You know, I, I felt, I mean, I had decision-making responsibility when I was 10. Where am I going to go today? And how am I going to get there? I mean, we were, when we were young, we used to go, I mean, we were 12 years old. We would get on two buses and a trolley and go to Philadelphia Phillies baseball games, you know, and, and we we're 12 years old. And, and And when you were riding the bike, did you wear a helmet? <laughs> no although my sister who's a, a, a trauma psychologist would say that was stupid even back then but no, yeah but, but i mean that but that was the sense it was it wasn't you know it, it was a different sense of security then oh yeah very very much so i mean you, you know i interestingly i think you know the i i had a lot of external anxiety coming from events that i picked up from my parents stuff like the cuban missile crisis and you know but in the neighborhood no there were there weren't any bad people right you didn't know they were bad people you know you you talk about the the cuban missile crisis but you know in in the baby boomer generation it, it, you know right after world war 2 is when you know there was korea and then you know, a little later, there was Vietnam for, for the later part of the generation, but it was the whole nuclear age, you know, beginning in 1945, of course, with uh, 
the end of World War II and the bombings in Japan. But you know, they used to train they used to train baby boomers to you know to go to the shelter. It was there were fallout shelters everywhere, and or or get underneath your desk, which I which I think is the most ridiculous thing. What are you going to do? You're going to just, you know, but that, I mean, they used to drill on this kind of stuff, which they don't talk about anymore. So there's a big fear of nuclear Holocaust then. Oh yeah. I mean, absolutely. And it was very real, very real to me. And my mother, because of her military background and nursing skills was a civil defense warden in our neighborhood. Uh, and I, the generations won't remember, but there were those little yellow signs with the triangle, right, that that designated this is a nuclear shelter, get in. And we had one in our basement, and it was stocked full of Campbell soup and, you know, dried uh, canned goods and and all those sorts of things. And uh, it was it was very, you know, that that part was very real to 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 me. And, you know, um, certainly in school, those those drills of get under your desk, make sure you close the shades so you won't be blinded by the explosion. Well, if you can see the explosion. We <laughs> <know>. <laughs> yeah, you're going to be uh, you're going to be uh, melted to the desk. Right. No, it it was it, it is interesting because the the this, the notion of security was really um, one extreme or the other. I mean, you you felt secure in your neighbor your own neighborhood and your own area, but but you feared this thing from afar, I guess, and superpowers and things happening that could happen to you from from long long distances. Yeah, I mean, it's certainly you know no you know a sense of not having any control over over those you know those external external events. But um, you know, I remember my parents watching that black and white television uh, intently for each you know each move, and I. I, I I was nine years old then, I guess, and I had the sense of uh, of of relief when it was over uh, that I still kind of remember. Almost, you know, when it, the equivalent would be like winning the Super Bowl. It was just everything was kind of lifted off your shoulders, and I remember that uh, distinctly. We've discussed some of the characteristics of the baby boom generation. Next, we're going to explore how the generations differ. We'll take a short break. Be right back. What does the future of work mean for your employees? How will your company navigate ESG? Will there be a global recession? At the Conference Board, our experts translate the latest research and economic analysis into insights and real-time problem solving for your organization. Membership at the Conference Board provides your team with an assortment of knowledge from economics, marketing and communications, ESG, public policy, and human capital. As a member, you'll have access to our center experts, member-exclusive events, data and benchmarking tools, and peer sharing that will help you understand the present and shape the future. Consider becoming a Conference Board member today by visiting www.conference-board.org. Welcome back to CEO Perspectives. I'm your host, Steve Odlin from the Conference Board, and I'm joined today by Chuck Mitchell, the Senior Director of Content Quality here at the Conference Board, and a baby boomer born right in the middle of the generation. Now, uh, the whole space era happened, you know, when you were when you were a kid. I mean, I, 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 I smile now when I read about all this space junk that it's so cluttered up there that you can't, you know, you can't move without getting hit by something. But but you were there and watched the very first satellite launch, the very first one. Yeah, 
Well, I, you know, everybody knows Sputnik, right? The the Soviet the basketball sized thing that went up and did a couple of orbits and beeped a few times, and that was oh my god, we we're toast, right, in the U.S. and and uh, and you know that you know that's part of what defined the generation is our faith in technology too, right? I mean, as as you know, it was making things better, and and that that uh, there was a commitment, I think, in 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 the, in the whole country, and certainly among my generation, that you know we can do this, and 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 everybody, you know, some way or another, might be able to contribute to, you know, to 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 getting a man on the moon, and Kennedy promised before, you know, before nineteen seventy, right, before the end of sixty nine, and um, and, and there was such pride in what we could what we achieved. I remember being really puffed up about, you know, beating my chest. You know, you can't beat us, and that. Uh, you know, I, I think that was one of our the U.S.'s finest hours. Well, and and President Kennedy made that statement. What 1961? We're going to yeah. put a man on the moon and return him, him. There, <laughs> there was no sense of diversity, but him safely. And uh, you know, and what and you were there. I mean, you listened to this. I mean, what was the reaction of of you know your family and everybody when he said that? I mean, it was a little bit incredible, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, we had kind of a neighborhood watch party, what they call today, right? But, you know, people, not everybody had TV sets. Uh, and, uh, you know, everybody, you know, quite a few neighbors came over. And, you know, again, it was uh, just this sense of of pride um, that that this could, that we are, it was a we are doing it. Uh, not they, we are doing it. And, and um Boy, everybody felt good for for a long time, and we just kind of marveled at at, at uh, our you know the the technology ability to do that. And as we know now, right? I mean, you know, it, there was very little. You have way more in your cell phone than what they had when they were going up and in in uh, to the moon. So um, yeah, it was just a sense it pulled really pulled uh, the community and not just our community, but I think across the U.S. This great sense of of achievement, pride. We can do anything, and uh, that that was kind of one of the definers. Now you know, um, humans have been developing for you know a million years before your generation, but they started really talking about the concept of generations just uh, in, in two groups before you. One was the greatest, what they called the greatest generation, 1901 and 1927, and then the silent generation, which was 1928 to 1945. So they're, they're two big gen. Isn't it interesting, Chuck, that the first generation who started this whole scheme named themselves the greatest <laughs> I don't think they were self-named. I, I have was it Tom Brokaw who wrote that book of the Greatest Generation about the sacrifices that that group did, and um, you know, again, you know, my, both my parents being serving in the military uh, and serving out, you know, in the Pacific Theater and in, in action, um, you, you know that the sacrifices and the just that they made you know when you think of of the call-ups and the and the volunteers that wanted to serve during the second world war and you contrast that with um the draft situation in one of the defining events for my generation the vietnam war right where 
Um, you know, I, I, yes, a lot of people were called up and served proudly, uh, but a lot of people were heading to Canada and out the door and looking for ways to get deferments. And you, I think that's the big contrast between those two generations, the willingness to serve and sacrifice for a common good. And then uh, our group who, um, you know, well, it doesn't suit me, so I'm not I'm not going to I'm not going to get involved. And my draft number was 265. My college roommate got number four in the lottery and signed up for ROTC. And I breezed through. So, yeah, it uh, you, you, you slipped. Now, after the baby boomers, there was Generation X, Y and Z. Uh, Generation Y is also referred to as Millennial Z. And the babies being born today are Generation Alpha. So they're starting all over again. But so there are really three big generations after you. Do, you. do you view them distinctly differently or do you kind of think of all of them as being the same from your perspective? Yeah, and that, you know, I almost anyone younger outside that falls outside of my generation and comes later, it's hard for me to distinguish. I think the the the, the Xers, the, the Zers and, and Xers are uh, maybe a little easier to distinguish but you know the the millennial side is no i they all kind of they all kind of look alike as to you so and and how are they the same or different than what you experienced in the baby boom yeah i mean I, you know I, I i think the differences really come in in they're a little more appreciative of their balance, right? They think our generation, again, you know, being really kind of so so goal oriented, uh, strong work ethic, tended to have a great trust in the system, if you will, and devoted a lot of their lives, sunk a lot of their identity into 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 their jobs, what they did, who they made them who they were to some extent. And I think the generations that came come afterwards that came afterwards, not so much, you know, it's 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 one of the things that I, I admire about those later generations is that seeking of more balance. They saw how absorbed our the generation before was in in in, in their work. And you know, part of it was to provide, right? It's life stage, right? You have a family you need to provide. But I, I think there's more sense of self in later generations uh, and willingness to indulge oneself. And that's probably healthier in the long run than what happened to us. You know, um, there's been so much written about the differences in generations, da, 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 da. But as I hear you talk, you know, you, you, you talk about the generations that came before you, they were just, they were older than you at the time. And, and therefore they'd accomplished, they'd sacrificed, they'd gone through two world wars. The generations that are younger than you are younger, and so they're at a different life stage. And I just wonder how much of it, Chuck, is is just due to life stage. I mean, were boomers really different than today's Gen Z at the same stage in life? I, you know, I, I, I really do, especially when you, you know, generation before us, the greatest generation, silent generations were, I think, extraordinarily rigid. Um, and, you know, not only in a family sense, but also in a, in a societal sense, uh, it, and, and, and their approach was it's, it's our way or the highway and, and to some extent, right. Um, 
even even when they were younger, they they, they were rigid beliefs. There was a, a firmness and and unshakability in what they believed in. And I think uh, it started with the boomers um, starting to question that rigidity. And now we get up to to later generations who I think are more flexible, uh, willing to adapt than earlier generations. Um, you know, I think those are those are the big differences. I think when you talk about um, you know, life stage, it, it, there, there can't be a lot of differences when, you know, you have a family and you have a mortgage and you have, you know, you have responsibilities. Uh, it pushes, it, it pushes everyone into a kind of similar behavior. I mean, you just can't, you can't go out and do everything that you want to do because you have those responsibilities. So I think, you know, to that extent that, that, yeah, that there, there's there's a lot of commonality in life, you know, in life stages within the generations. Yeah. So you know, when 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 people look back and look at the baby boomer generation, what what are the you know handful you know a couple of events you know historic events that they're going to say, yeah, that you know that those were defining moments in that generation. Yeah, I you know I mean I think certainly you know I I think the Vietnam War was was a was a really big definer for for my generation in in so many ways and i think for society overall i i think that was the beginning of the this kind of polarization that we see now in, in the u.s you you know myself i i was i was more naive i was neither anti-war nor pro-war you know i, I started to see that a, a vicious not a, a viciousness perhaps um uh, certainly a polarization of, you know, if you if you were against the war, you were against America. If you were, uh, you know, for the war, you were a patriot. And I think that's where this polarization, when I when I was thinking about it, it, it begins to surface, I think, in a in a national scale. So obviously you won't be here 100 years from now, but it, what what when when people are writing about or talking about the baby boom generation 100 years from now, I'm just you know, whatever. I'm just trying to go out far enough that that they're looking back. What do you think they will say about the baby boom generation? Self criticism is never easy, but I, I you know, I, I think they'll look back and say, well, maybe they blew it, right? We blew it. Uh, I, you know, we were coming off, uh, you know, a, a great period of optimism and growth among the previous generations, and we had all this technology. We had rising wealth. Uh, we had a, a, a desire to change society for the good, and then we ran out of gas. You know, um, when, when do you think that that when when do you think that started to happen? Where we ran out of gas? You know, around what what time period? You know, I mean, I I, I think for for our generation, you know, when you look back, uh, even early on, right in that in that generation, the, the wasn't one event, but I think it was a series of events. Think of the political assassination of the Kennedys, Martin Luther King, just kind of took the wind, started to take the wind out of the our sails a little bit. Uh, that that hope for progress. There's always some obstacle. There's some bad person out there that's going to try and try and stop it. But I, you know, I I I, I really think that post post Vietnam War. Um, we just started to 
see that all that change that that had been hoped for earlier on in the in that period wasn't going to happen and now we got to hunker down and look after our families and job responsibilities and um and and that just kind of we were disappointed in ourselves that we didn't get more done when we had the opportunity and events just over you know opportunity responsibilities overwhelmed well it'll be interesting i mean it, it, it's it's uh it's really interesting to hear you know the self-criticism but i wonder if 100 years from now it will look quite quite the same we won't know um because we won't be here but but i wonder if it will look quite as uh as bleak or whether or, or whether people will remember you know the great technological breakthroughs and uh you know medical breakthroughs and so forth that were made in this generation we'll see you know we'll, we'll see when somebody plays this podcast 100 years from now they can they can tell us right whether we were accurate or not well it seems like you know revisionist history is always downward right so I don't know. I don't know. You 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 elevated the greatest generation and and agreed with their own naming. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, in some ways, I they were right. Yeah. And, you know, yeah, they were your heroes. Yeah, you can see it. Chuck Mitchell, thanks very much for joining us today and telling us your story. Well, thanks, Steve. It was it was great, and and, and it was really nice to have time for that kind of self reflection. You know, uh, it it meant a lot. Thanks a lot. And thanks to all of you for listening in to CEO Perspectives. Every week, I'll be joined by a prominent thought leader to provide insights on the issues of our time. We'll cover the leading topics in economics, geopolitics, public policy, and more. Please share CEO Perspectives with all of your colleagues, your friends of every generation. I know they're going to want to listen. I'm Steve Odlin, and this series has been brought to you by the Conference Board. You have been listening to CEO Perspectives, a podcast by the Conference Board.